to episode seven of the Far Post podcast. I'm Anna and seven episodes. That's enough episodes to field a football team. And uh, I've got my own football team right here, Sam Lewis, uh, Angela Christian-Wilkes. We'll kick off, as always, with some classic You Love to See It. So I loved to see not just Emily Van Egmond's first league goal for West Ham in the FAWSL, but an absolute unicorn of a goal for this particular player because she scored it with her head. We know that Emily Van Egmond voids headers like the plague, so it was nice to see her put aside her personal disdain for uh, for headers and get her team on the, on the score sheet in a game that they ultimately lost, but that's fine. It was it was a great goal. So Emily Van Egmond scoring headers, you love to see it. Angela, you've got an absolute ripper of you love to see it. Um, talk us through. I think if you've been watching the FAWSL or following it on socials, you would have seen this already, but Vivian Miedemar scoring 52 goals in 50 games. You love to see it. And they were all, we were talking about this earlier, all of the the goals in that Arsenal-Tottenham game were <clears throat> chef's kiss. So good. Um, and Viv got a hat trick. It was like she only needed one. She was sitting on 49 equal with Nikita Paris. Only needed one in her 50th game to like beat all the records. She got three in a half and then she got subbed off. Like how how does someone do that? It's just incredible. Um, yeah, so that was my you love to see it this way. Just stoked. She's one of my favourite players. So, yeah. And extraordinarily, she's still only 24, which just doesn't seem fair. And to truly uh, celebrate Viv's, uh, Viv's record-breaking uh, goal-scoring uh, moment, Angela is wearing a very special jersey on the pod tonight. And shout-out to Angela's father, who I know will be ex- especially proud of this moment. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yes, my special Miedemar jersey. It's still got the tag on it, actually. It's so <laughs> treasured. I think this is the first time I've worn it, saving it for a special occasion. And what better occasion? You love to see it, Angela. You love to see it. And I'll tie my you love to see it into uh, that game. Australian focus, Caitlin Ford. She can't stop scoring, can't stop assisting, um, played a key role in the Miedema, um hat-trick and then scored two goals of her own. Caitlin Ford doing it all. You love to see it. You love to see it. And it's a good segue, Harrow, into sort of our first segment, right, of this, of this pod, FAWSL chat and you know, what better game to start with than Arsenal, uh, the Arsenal 6, Tottenham 1 in the North London derby? See, so we've talked about Miedemar, but what we've called it here on the Farpost pod is the Ford Fiesta. <laughs> and that's, yes. exactly, that's exactly what it was for us um, with an Aussie focus. I know you wrote your column about Caitlin Ford. Um, if you could take us through it, Sam, really how she sort of has shone and taken the spotlight. We know she was good before a lot of these Arsenal players got injured, but with so many of them out, including our own Steph Catley, it just seems like she's thrived and taken on the responsibility and taken the game to another level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my column for Optus this week was about Ford and about uh, how this huge sweep of injuries that we've seen through Arsenal has actually been really good for her because it has forced Ford into uh, certain positions and into certain moments that perhaps she otherwise wouldn't have. At uh, the start of the season, you know, largely because she was new, she was still getting used to the team, blah, blah, blah. She was a bench player. 
Um, and when you look at the kinds of players who are currently sidelined with injury for Arsenal, it's understandable why Ford might be a little bit further down the pecking order relative to them. But when you've got these players now sitting on the sideline for a couple of weeks, we're getting we're seeing these other players uh, finally get some serious opportunities on the field. And Ford, she has yeah, she's absolutely flying at the moment. Uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show, you know, two goals and an assist uh, against Tottenham um, on the weekend. You know, and and two really good, really different kinds of goals. Um, I think we all sort of knew what Caitlin Ford was capable of, but perhaps we'd sort of forgotten. In a similar, I'm sort of having flashbacks to when Emily Van Egmond sort of came into form for Melbourne City. We're like, oh, this is what she's good at. I've totally forgotten. Like when she was playing, when Caitlin Ford was playing for Portland, she didn't really get the get the chance to show what she's really good at. And I think perhaps that was a combination of her uh, coming back from injury and the sort of style that Portland liked to play and the style of American football generally, um, it didn't quite suit her. And so when it was announced that she'd signed for Arsenal, I was really excited because Arsenal play exactly the kind of football that Caitlin Ford loves and thrives in. And she said after the derby that she's really enjoying her football again after quite a while. And that's obviously being illustrated on the field. Like she just looks like a, she's a duck to water. You know, she is loving what's, what she's doing and she's, you know, she's contributing in so many uh, important ways to the team when they really, really need her to. So I think Joe Monmuro has been totally vindicated in signing her and I think he'll be especially pleased um, that she's coming into form now. Her form actually reminds me a lot of just before she did her foot injury in that semi-final in the W League, the form she was in there was just electrifying. Like it just looked like she was on par at least with Sam Kerr in terms of what she could deliver. Um, and it feels like she's getting back to that sort of football. I think people forget just how electrifying she was, and she's still very young. It was such a serious foot injury, that Liz Frank one, and it does take time to recover. I know she said when I've spoken to her in interviews, I spoke to her during the season shutdown as well, actually, and just the amount of time it takes to get your confidence back in your foot because obviously – especially when you're such an explosive player, you're putting all your weight through it. Um, So it does take time. The other thing that I reckon might have actually helped, and she's hinted at this too, is when the FAWSL was brought to a halt, um, lots of players went home. We know Sam Kerr did, um, Chloe Legazzo did as well. But Ford actually chose to stay in London um, because she didn't get over there till sort of Jan Feb and settled in, stayed with... uh, Leah Valti and has really got to know her Arsenal teammates, really settled in, done all her training, really made London home. And I think there is sort of, I guess, an understated value to that in terms of settling in and feeling comfortable. And I think you also get the trust of your teammates that you can play a big role, one, if you're replacing well-loved teammates and starting, but two, if you need to step up when players are out injured. And I think she's shown that. And like you said, Sam, it was the style of the goals. We've seen so much of her work when she cuts in, but we also got to see her, you know, latch onto that ball over the top, beat a defender, and then have the composure to put it away. What I loved most of all was the assist for Miedemar, where Miedemar did some great build-up work, put it through to Ford, and I would have backed her in to score, but she just had the vision, the awareness, and I guess the care for her teammate as well to just slide it across, make it a certainty, and make it a... You know, it was already a, a special day for Viviana Miedema, even more special. So I think she's just going to endear herself even more um, at Arsenal. She's already a point of difference. We know that. And she just brings something, uh, yeah, an extra spark to the table. But 
I just think she's going to be a real fan favourite and and teammate favourite for a long time. Just to, I guess, round out that game, Arsenal, of course, um, going on to win 6-1 against Tottenham. Alana Kennedy uh, started, played the full game for Spurs in midfield. Um, there was a there was a great camera angle of, uh, oh. Viv, I think Viv's, it was Viv's second goal, which deflected in off Kennedy sliding in at the front post to try and stop it. And it came the off awkward. her shin and went through mm. the, the sort of the arm space of uh, Becky Spencer. And you just saw Alana Kennedy do like a gym from the office look into the middle distance. <laughs> just like, fuck. And Steph Catley's still injured for Arsenal. Lydia Williams was left on the bench. Uh, be interesting to see what happens at Arsenal. Joe Montemuro, the Australian coach, flagged um, last week that they're going to do a pretty hefty investigation into all the injuries going on in that squad, which I think is more than due given they only had four players on the bench, including Williams as the second keeper. What does it mean, like an investigation into the injuries? Who is being investigated? You look at your training methods, you look at your squad rotation, you look at your strength and conditioning, and you try and figure out what's at the bottom of it. It might be the fact that just they have a small squad and they're constantly rotating players for so many games um, and coming off the back of a shutdown. You know, these players Mm. aren't at fitness. All of these players are not at fitness, not at the same sort of fitness that they'd expect to be at this point of the season. And so perhaps some of them are starting to realise the limits of their own bodies um, and they're not maybe getting the kind of support and treatment that they need. So you hope, hopefully they figure it out because, you know, you looked at the rest of their bench and they had three, basically three teenagers. And if they want to continue to go forward in a number of competitions, they need to have more than that. It seems like the international break this week's come at a really good time for them. I think a lot of those players are getting back on the park after that. They'll be unfortunate as well that Jill Rod, who'd been their form player, went away with the Netherlands and picked up a knee knock there and that's kept her out. Um, but, yes, it's players that I think you have to be really careful with, especially the likes of your Jordan Nobbs, Kim Little, who've both done ACLs in the past and you know then they can more, be more susceptible to hamstrings. But as you said, Sam... Uh, obviously the shutdown can be a contributing factor. But we know they had injury concerns before the shutdown as well. <laughs> and then the then it paused. So you can understand the frustration there and how much they would want to get to the bottom of that. Elsewhere in the FAWSL, it was a bit of a dirty day for Matildas, Emily Van Egmond and Mackenzie Arnold, um, because the Hammers lost to Manchester United 4-2 at home. Angela, thoughts? Uh, I just wanted to touch on something we discussed last week. Um, so Emily Van Egmond scored with her Emily Van Egnoggen. <laughs> I've got a credit Sam there. That's her name in our podcasting app. I love it. Um, and we did send out a call out to investigate the term noggin and it has been brought to our attention that it is indeed um, British slang. So thank you to those who have informed and educated us on the, the origins of the noggin. You mean it ain't me noggin, it's me peepers. Aside from scoring Emily Van Egmond update, she still seemed to be playing defensive mid. This West Ham side, uh, stuff isn't going, it's not going well for them. I think Man United played a really good game and they were really fun to watch, but as a supporter of the other team, you can't revel in it. It was big news for our friends over in the US with uh, 
Tobin Heath and Christian Press both scoring their first goals as well. I love the Christian Press goal personally, like that um, back post finish where she just sort of a little casual little uh, jab home. Like it looks really easy, but I imagine the actual execution of that sort of volley um, would be quite difficult. It, but she just made it look so easy, which I just thought was very cool, a very classy way to just round out a, a pretty dominant performance. Um it's incredible that she came off the bench full stop. I guess they're managing these players, but such a classy finish. And I think it was just really good to see those players remind us of just how good they are. Another Australian in action was Hayley Razzo, uh, who played the full game in Everton's 2 all draw with Brighton. Sam, I know you absolutely love this game because this is a belter. Two fun teams just going hell for leather. Talk us through this one. Two really fun teams, Everton and Brighton. I mean, in in seasons past, you never really would have expected them to be playing the kind of football that they've been playing. Uh, But, like, this game was just a cracker. And I know that we've seen some big scores in other games and some great goals and whatever, but I really love games like this, games that are back and forth, games that are sort of tough uh, and tricky and, and energetic and dynamic where both teams really seriously give a shit and they're actually really competing. Um, I, yeah, I mean, Everton have been sort of the team to watch for me this season. They've been so much fun, very similar to their men's side, weirdly. I mean, it seems like the club has sort of been through some sort of revolution over the last six months, which is great. Um, again, Hayley Rasso had a, had a pretty good game. She didn't get on the score sheet, but she played her part. She, she's sort of part of this really, um, really fun, really dynamic energy that this team seemed to have. But Brighton didn't buckle. Like Brighton, Brighton was still there. They were still holding their own. They were still forcing Everton to come at them and to, and to actually play the game. Um, whereas Brighton in the past, I don't think would have done that. And I think we've mentioned in, in uh, previous episodes that Denise O'Sullivan has been sensational for Brighton and she has seemed seemingly completely transformed their midfield. Going back to Everton, though, I, you know, Izzy Christensen's goal um, was an absolute belter. I think it was probably my favourite of the round. It was fr- it was a free kick from like 35 yards and she just absolutely put her foot through it. It took a slight deflection off a player and sort of spun into the top corner, but it was still ridiculous. Um, and it's really good to see her be called back into England camp because she seemed to drop off the radar a little bit when she went to Lyon. It's really good to see her at the centre of things at Everton as well, where she's obviously being really valued uh, and her leadership is being uh, really valued as well. Um, and then Valerie Govan as well, you know, the, the French woman popping up uh, at the back post or the front post to score a, a header, another header. I mean, I think that's basically all she scores these days. Um, <laughs> she's she's super fun to watch as well. Like she's a really, really classy, classic centre forward, which I think Everton have needed for a while um, and is something that Tottenham probably need as well. So maybe they can take some tips from Govan. Govan, score with your feet challenge. Just gets them with the noggin. She's so good at it. So good. Things weren't so good for Australians Chloe Legazzo and Ella Mastrantonio as Bristol City copped a heavy loss 4-0 to Birmingham. Just wasn't their day, was it, Sam? No, it wasn't. At this point of the season, you have to start wondering uh, whether they're going to be in the sort of relegation scrap. Um, they really haven't impressed, I don't think, in any of the games that they've played against um, the the top sides, the top top sides being FAWSL sides. You know, they've been fine in other competitions where they've been playing uh, 
teams from the championship. But, yeah, I mean, they, they just seem to be a mess. And Lagazzo and Master Antonio, like, they both started uh, the game again, but both of them had a, had a bit of a shocker. Um, Lagazzo got pretty pretty squarely bodied by uh, Rachel Corsi for Birmingham's first goal in the box. Uh, Master Antonio sort of just lost her runner, who went on to assist the second. Um and yeah, I think Master Antonio sort of was was uh, yanked at halftime as well. Like it was, it was just a, it was just a bit of a shocker. So, yeah, not not too fun uh, for the Robins. Not too fun for Tanya Oxtoby. Um And I don't really know how they're going to be able to pull it back. You know. Well, we knew there was always going to be a tough scrap for Bristol coming in. And I spoke to Chloe Legazzo pre-season about this. We knew that they staved off a relegation last year, just over ahead of Liverpool, um, but. Chloe actually said this is a sort of challenge she embraced. She wanted to try and play a big role in avoiding, you know, avoiding relegation, being a part of the scrap, you know, promotion and relegation is such a big part of English football. But at the end of the day, like squad quality does make things very difficult. They've got a lot of young players. They haven't got the pure quality that other teams have. Like Legazzo is a fantastic player, um, but that's one fantastic player. Um, and they've got a couple of other, you know, decent players as well. But when you look at the teams they're up against and the sheer quality and also just the rise of teams like Everton and Manchester United, you just start to see the gaps widening between these different teams. So there's going to be a lot of uh, scraps there. But certainly they're not in as bad of a position as West Ham, for example, who have the quality but just don't seem to be delivering at all. But, yeah, it's a lot for Tanya to think about, I think. And it's also worth mentioning that, uh, you know, I remember watching women's football All-Star and the first episode was about Bristol City and they interviewed Tanya Oxtoby and she mentioned that in comparison to a lot of the other teams in the FAWSL, Bristol are one of the few that actually don't have a huge amount of money and resources from their bigger men's side. I know that Bristol are in the championship, but, you know, you're coming up against the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea, City, you know, Aston Villa even, you know, a team that has just been uh, promoted from the second tier. You've got almost all of these clubs have huge men's teams uh, to support them. Uh, but Bristol don't really have that. And so they're having to do try and do a lot with quite minimal amount of resources. Um, and so because of that, yeah, I mean, I think there is the risk that they could go down um, if they aren't able to turn things around with the, the sort of uh, what they have at their disposal. That's a good point to move on from the FAWSL. We'll throw it over to France. And Angela, I believe there's been some drama in France. Uh-huh. So Laura Brock's team, EA Gengon, their coach got a little bit rowdy at a recent game and has been suspended for 17 games. 17 games? That's 17 games. So, yeah, originally um, I read that. And I was like, that that can't, that's a typo. <laughs> but no, it is not a typo. He's been suspended for 17 games. So I just, I can't fathom how you run a team when you've been suspended for that amount of time. It's like a whole season. Um, and also his assistant suspended for 15 games. What did if they I do? Read, bullied the refs, I think, and like yelled at players. But yeah, I just wanted to pass that on because juicy goth. wasn't a particularly fun game for Laura Brock either. It was actually a bit of Matilda on Matilda violence. Ellie Carpenter played the full game for Leon and they thumped uh, Brock's um, Gengong uh, 4-0. Great to see 
both these players start and play a full game, but not such a great result for Laura Brock. Um, meanwhile, youngster Mary Fowler came off the bench as Montpellier beat uh, Stade Reims 1-0. And a bit of sad news, I think over the last couple of weeks, we know that Emma Checker has returned to Australia after picking up a stress fracture. So uh, rough news for Emma Checker, but meanwhile for those of those who like to keep an eye on what's happening in the French League, it sounds like they have picked up a new broadcast deal. So we look forward to hearing more about that. Over in Spain, Ivy Lewick played the full game in Sevilla's nil-all draw with Le Grogno. Um, but Alex Chidiak and Jenna McCormick were both left on the bench for uh, their respective teams. Over in Norway, Carly Rossback with LSK Vinna has picked up a new two-year deal. So great to see her sticking it out for the long run, guys. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Carly Rossback and I think is... Um, I've probably mentioned this in a previous episode. I think Carly Rossbacken is going to be a future Matildas captain, and it's really good to see um, her get some serious minutes into her leagues. I don't think she, you know, we're starting to see a couple of players overseas uh, come back to Australia to sign for W League clubs this week. We'll get to that in a, a little bit, uh, like a later segment. But I feel like Carly um, is really developing much more than perhaps she anticipated. And obviously the club are really impressed with what she's been able to do since she's arrived there. Um, I think she's been playing in a little bit of a different role as well. Um, She's been playing sort of centrally as well Mm. as on the left, which is great considering previous conversations we've had about lack of depth uh, for the Matildas in certain positions so, yeah, it's really good to see Ross Barkin be rewarded with a two-year deal. You know, multi-year deals are pretty rare in women's football. We've mentioned mm. that before as well. Um, so it, it shows that the club really believe in her and that she's wanting to stick around and, and continue to improve. So it's great all around. Um, we did have a question this week, actually. Edward, he asked, with Carly Ross Barkin playing a bit at CB for her club, LSK Kavina, what do you guys think about her being another possible option at CB for the Matildas? Yeah, I, I reckon, as Sam said before, it's fantastic given um, our relative lack of centre-backs. Um, we know she played a bit for young Matildas there. Uh, I think it's also a good career move for Carly because Ellie Carpenter, let's face it, is going to be a long-term fixture at right back. Steph Catley's still only 26 and is going to be left back for a while. We know that Carly can play both sides as a fullback, but we really need another centre-back. And centre-backs now don't have to be big and tall and strong like you need to have some that are smart, that are agile, that can go with the smaller crafty forwards. And I think that is a really exciting prospect for us because I think a lot of our centre-backs have been your more traditional big and tall and strong players. You look at uh, Kennedy, you look at Polkinghorne, Brock, and they have all sort of fit that mould. So we know Steph Catley offers something different when she goes in there, but if Ross Bakken can develop her versatility and play as both as an option, at centre-back and at full-back, it doesn't only mean she can fill those spots in a back four, it also adds to her versatility if, say, for example, in the future we go to a back three. Um, I just think it's a really exciting thing if she can develop her game in those areas too. And, yeah, I'm all for it, to be honest. Like, she's going to probably keep getting called into the Matildas as a full-back for now, but if she can round out her game as she gets older and her body matures and she gets stronger to play another role, I think that's fantastic. I think centre-backs need to a lot of the time be good leaders and, you know, future alluding to being a f- the future captain of the Matildas, um, what better position? 
I just think you look at the way as well that she stepped in, like off virtually no preparation, let's be honest, to come in at last, you know, last minute into the Matilda squad at the World Cup at such a young age. I thought that just showed the sort of attitude she has, that sort of go-getting approach, as well as her obvious talent and skill. You just look at those different attributes and you go, that's a player that just wants to do whatever she's got to do to make the team tick. And uh, I just don't think you can have enough of those players. And if she can do that in potentially three, four positions across the back four, fantastic. And, yeah, we, we did see a lot of that sort of pluck from Ross Barkin playing for Canberra and that leadership as well. I have a very good, almost niche segue into our next segment off the back of that chat. And so now we're going to be talking uh, closer to home, addressing W League. And one of the uh, signings that we've seen this week is the signing of Jessica Nash, who is the junior Matildas captain and a centre-back signing for Canberra. I mean, Jessica Nash is really highly rated by uh, Ray Dower and by all the staff of the Junior Matildas. She was a train-on player at Sydney FC last year, um, but I think she's finally going to be given an opportunity to to show what she can do. Um, And we're talking, again, about future leaders of the Matildas. You know, Junior Matildas are now sort of coming into the fold of these W League sides as a result of all these senior players leaving. So we're seeing lots of 16-, 17-, 18-year-olds finally getting a chance to show what they can do. Uh, and Jessica Nash is one of them. So she's signed for Canberra alongside Claire Hunt, uh, who had a pretty good season uh, in the MPL this year for Sydney University, I think. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's good to see Canberra getting on board uh, with local players and wanting to really lean into what Canberra have always been good at, which is developing youth. So I'm really excited to see how Jessica Nash goes. They're not the only team to announce some signings. Angela, uh Resident Melbourne Victory correspondent. We got a couple of VUC signings. We did. We've got Leah Privatelli returning to the VUC. Um, she's been at the club for a few years now, and she's also always been quite a high achiever at the MPL level. Obviously, we didn't get to see that this past season, but great to see her back. And I think with the way that the W League might be shaping up, um, we'll be looking to be a leader in this VUC side. We've also, speaking of MPL, got Catherine Zimmerman coming in. Um, we had a little chat amongst ourselves last week about her quality, which is really exciting, and she's been doing really well in the NPL for the past couple of years too, so great to see her getting this opportunity. And finally, Angie Beard returning from Iceland and signing with the VUC. She's been a fan favourite for the past couple of seasons. It was absolutely huge last year in their defence, and so, yeah, fantastic to see that she's back. Uh, yeah, Anna, what, what do you think of Beard returning to, to the VUC? I reckon that's fantastic. I think this is a year where Angie Beard's got to try and put her hand up and say, I want to get back into the fringes of the Matildas squad. Um, she had a call-up when she was really young at Brisbane Raw and probably probably just wasn't ready at the time, needed to mature in her game. But um, I know talking to people at Victory last year, um, how highly they rate her, and I think a lot of people would be rapt to see her get into the periphery of the Matildas. I thought her versatility really stood out. We know she has that burst of pace when she plays um, out wide on the wing. But where she really impressed for mine was that more solid leadership role when she was playing in a back three. Uh, I know she was playing with Emily Menges and Laura Brock or Jenna McCormick, like a combination of those players the whole time. But she more than held her own against some really good forwards playing in a back three. And I just think with the potential for variation in tactics, we don't know what Tony Gustafsson's going to do yet, but we know that the US women's national team, for example, has always valued very versatile players. 
We talked about Carly Rosbacken just before as an option of maybe someone who can play in different formations as a centre-back, as a full-back. And I think Angie Beard can offer that same sort of thing. And she is still very young as well. Um, she scores goals for fun at Calder, but I thought it was great that she went and tested herself overseas. Now she should be in that group of players that step up in this W League season and say, you know what, I can kick on. I can take this league by the scruff of the neck and I can put myself on the radar. I, I just think it's a fantastic signing for victory given how good she was last year and I hope that she actually kicks on from here. Yeah, I love Angie Beard. Angie Beard reminds me actually a lot of Ellie Carpenter. She seems to have a lot of that sort of raw energy and just the desire to constantly give 110% in every game that she plays in. The last two seasons that she's played for Melbourne Victory, I think, have been her best. I remember her at Brisbane Raw. Um, she she was very young and she made a lot of mistakes, um, but it seems like those are mistakes that she has really addressed and she's been able to to find ways um, to, to sort of fix them. And so, yeah, her last season for Victory was amazing. Uh, she was one of the best defenders in the league, I thought, um, and it was good to see her get an opportunity overseas. I, I don't know what's happened um, there that's made her want to return. Um, hopefully everything is fine and that she just wants to come back because she loves the W League and she loves Melbourne Victory. But yeah, I absolutely can see the sort of the potential that she has to to do a very have a similar trajectory to what Carpenter has. Really, um, she's got the right team around her, and if she's given the opportunity to do what she is naturally very good at, um, I think she's got a pretty big future. We've we've saved it till right near the end, but perhaps the most exciting W League news is we've got a season start date. Mary Dubnus, everyone, is going to be December twenty seven. Yay! Mary Dubnus, one and all. <laughs> Finally, how good is it to have some news? Yeah, it's great, and I I like that uh, the A League and the W League are kicking off at the same time, uh, on the same day. I think that's a, a nice uh, little sort of symbol of equality um in in really the only way that they can make things equal between these two leagues but um yeah no it's it's great I think there are still some uh questions hanging over um the the makeup of the dub I mean I am I putting my tinfoil hat on by asking whether or not we're going to see a Perth glory at all this season W League really depends on borders. It depends on whether or not some borders are going to be open. And for Perth, uh, the West Australia border, I think, is still quite closed. So, yeah, it's, a lot of it is just speculation at the moment. There's no real certainty. I think everyone is very much, and this is across all sports, this isn't just a football thing. Everyone is sort of very much contingent on what's happening with border closures and reopenings. Victoria is obviously headed well and truly in the right direction. So, that should open the door in terms of sports. But, yeah, I don't think any firm decisions can be made. I think one thing that hopefully if we're going to keep our tinfoil hats on, Sam, is will we see more W-League fixtures, including away trips, I guess, lined up with the A-League? Because for mine it would make sense where you can that if Brisbane Roar are going to go play in Melbourne, you make sure that the A-League and the W-League teams are both playing in Melbourne or and I think they do try and do that here and there, but it makes sense to really try and line things up where possible, um, especially in terms of we know the, the A-League season is a fair bit longer than the W-League, the 23, I think it's 23 rounds it's going to be. Um, but, yeah, it makes sense to sort of line those things up in terms of travel and, uh, you know, resourcing and those sorts of things. So hopefully uh, the 27th of December start date, that synchronised start date, I guess uh, gives an indication of where things are going to. 
Well, guys, it's time for what we've all been waiting for, the boot. They do say you should keep your friends close and your enemies closer. What we say here on the Far Post pod is you keep your enemies super close and then you give them a massive booting. Angela, <laughs> you've got a massive booting in store, or maybe is it just a little boot, just a little friendly nudge boot for a friend of the pod, or is it a friend of the pod at all? Yes. I, I would just like to say I feel like we're touching on some serious topics in the boot this week. So this is a gentle uh, nudge. But I was still not happy to see. I put out a request for some questions on Instagram. And now sworn enemy of the pod, Ben Mackey, responded with some absolute silliness. So we got – I'll just read them out for you, I think. Here we go. When is the dub back? Okay, so we've covered that. That's sort of reasonable, but we know you know, Ben, so come on. (laughs) Do any Tillies have bigger guns than Harrow? Harrow being Anna. And finally, why is Katrina Gori called Minnie? So... But I would just like to balance that out. We did get a lovely message from Marissa. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. But giving a boot to Mackie this week, not a boot, a flick. He's getting the flick. All right, off you go. Angela, you're on such a roll. Um, can you can you carry on with a couple more slightly harder boots? I believe the Miedemar game, the Miedemar game, as we're now going to call it, also drew your ire. I think most people who watch the game would have noticed this as well. Miedemar scored her first and the commentator referred to her as Leah Volte. It's just a different person. Just also someone who looks very different to Miedemar as well. So it was just a bit confusing and a bit baffling. I think the, the most extraordinary part was that he led it with, uh, it's number two, Leah Volte. I think Leah Volte might be number 13 as well. And also, <laughs> if you can see the number, you can see the player. So there's just a whole lot going on there. <laughs> Truly extraordinary scenes in the FAWSL. <laughs> and Angela, may as well go in for a third one. This has been a, a built-up boot, one that you've contemplated discussing before. You nearly threw it in last week. You nearly threw it in the week before. But I believe it's time for a certain stats provider. Can we call them that? Oh, I don't even know what Barely. you would call it. Barely, yeah. And again, it came up again this week. I thought maybe with MPL done, I wouldn't have to think about sports TG. And that's where all the information from games at community, state league, MPL level go in for a lot of the comps across Australia. It's where a lot of you can access information about you know, MPL results, who played, who scored goals. You can, you know, if the site worked, you could perhaps look at the history of a particular player and, and see where they previously played and if, how many games they had in a season. But it is just the most unfriendly site for users. I hate it so much. Anyone who has used it will know exactly what I'm talking about. It's so hard to find the information that you're after. There's so many drop-down menus that don't work. It's like if you Google a player and then their profile comes up and you click on it, it's only got their stats for like their one season at one club. And then you have to like work back. I hate it. I hate it so much. As a, you know, potential vault of information on a lot of things, football, not just women's football, football across the country. 
it, I feel like it needs to be better. <laughs> That's the end of my whinge this week. <laughs> I got a hat trick. Are you proud of me? Boot soul round. I've got my own boot. I've got my own grievance. It's a, and it has been touched on on Twitter um, this week. Uh, for those of you, I know this is a women's football podcast, um, but for those of you that have also tuned into the Premier League or even just, I think, football watchers in general, um, we saw in Manchester City's 1-0 win over Arsenal, there was an incident where uh, their striker, Sergio Aguero, wasn't too happy that the lineswoman had called a throw-in to Arsenal rather than Manchester City. We see players get fired up about these things all the time. But he really got on her face. And then as she'd sort of, you know, was just dismissing it, as lines, as lines women would tend to do, he sort of grabbed at her neck and shoulder area to sort of get her back into the conversation. And I think this is the moment where everyone, and credit to the pundits involved at the time, I think Ian Wright was one of them that said, it's not on, you can't be doing that. It's not right. But it was a really interesting moment because of the not only the incident but the reception it received. So if you go and actually look for it, what happens is he gets fired up, he goes, he grabs a sort of at the back of your neck sort of shoulder region, which I think if any woman was watching that video would have just shuddered. I know I did. I know talking to you guys, you did as well. That it's just a really uncomfortable position to be in. And before I go into why, I'll just touch on the reception. Um, Pep Guardiola, the Manchester City manager, basically wrote off the criticism straight away that um, saying he was, you know, one of the nicest people you could meet in football. A lot of sort of blokes on Twitter got on and started posting photos of various footballers, including Aguero, um, making physical contact with referees. For one thing, you're not allowed to do it. You shouldn't be making aggressive contact with any with any official. I think that's pretty well agreed upon. We know that players can push the line, but it was you can't look at this incident and not include the context of gender and the power that's involved in these sorts of situations. I think if you talk to any woman, everyone in this chat, everyone in a lot of our listeners, I think as well, would know that experience of being in a position, whether you're at work or out of the club or at a even at a cafe or just in public where you have a man get up in your space and it makes you shrink back or unwanted contact, unexpected contact. And I think especially in that workplace, I really felt for Sean Massiellis, the lineswoman, because there is that sort of you freeze a bit and you want to, you know, just carry on with your job or you may be in a bit of shock and don't know how to handle it. But I just think that everyone has experienced this. And, and just a quick shout-out to The Guardian, Susie Rack, who's done a superb comment piece on this. And, Sam, I know in a minute you'll want to comment on it more. But I think it was just very frustrating to see a lot of people try and downplay the incident and say, oh, maybe this is why women shouldn't be involved in sports or this isn't as serious as women are making it out to be. Because I think if you've never been a woman in a position where you felt intimidated by physical contact or someone even just getting your space, being aggressive, but especially especially the contact part, that I don't think you can understand just how sort of significant an action it is. And maybe even Sergio Aguero didn't understand. But for me, I just felt like it was so off. And I was just also really disappointed that Guardiola doesn't have to throw his player under the bus, but he can at least say, 
it's not acceptable. Like I don't think you're throwing your player under the bus or, you know, questioning their character by saying this was something that was out of line. He can learn from it. He can apologise to the official and we can all move forward and learn from this. So, Sam, I know you really went on a tear with this one on Twitter as well. I just thought it was a really disappointing, not just the moment itself, but the way it's been handled and the way it's been received and how the whole incident, I think, has been turned into the woman's space in the game rather than, I guess, the man who's done the wrong thing. Absolutely. I mean, like you touched on a lot there, Harrow, and I I did tweet about it um, very briefly. I probably could have written something about it as well, but... Yeah, um, Susie, I think, summarised all of our perspectives and all of our feelings on it uh, superbly. Um, When I saw that footage, um, my gut dropped, and I don't think that I'm alone in that. You know, we've all experienced a moment of having our bodies touched regardless of its con- regardless of the context regardless of where we've been touched but we have been touched by a man and we have not asked for it and i think this was one of those moments where that collective experience that women have had um has been triangulated through something quite public and it's it was a, a real reminder of why we see so few women involved in uh, roles like this in football, um, not just because of the situation itself, but because of the blowback that it's received. Um, like my tweets, for example, I had dozens of uh, men on Twitter up in my mentions um, doing the same thing, posting photos of Aguero touching other referees, um, questioning why she was in men's football in the first place. Um, and then I had like a DM saying, go make me a sandwich, which is just like, come on, man, that's so like 1990s sort of sexism. Get get a bit more creative, will you? Um, but the thing that sort of bewilders me is that, you know, when it came to the replies of all of these people posting all these photos saying, see, see, you know, he does, you know, this happens all the time. All those referees in all those other photos are men. This is the problem. There is a blindness to gender when it comes to these dynamics. The reason why we're all so upset about this is because Cheyenne Massey Ellis is the powerless party in this situation, not just in the one-on-one situation with Aguero, but in the context of her workplace. She is surrounded by men. She is like her bosses are men, the people who make the, all of the rules that she must follow are men, the people who decided that Aguero's touch didn't constitute harassment were men. So she's operating in a system where she is at the absolute base of this power sort of structure. So, it, you know, she, I think quite understandably, didn't want to make a fuss of it. She brushed off the off the touch and she continued to do her job as all of us would and, and as all of us have done in the past. But just because she brushes it off and just because she gets on with her job as she wants to and she wants to ignore it doesn't mean the incident can be ignored. I, you know, we can talk about differences in culture, we can talk about differences in, you know, interpretation, but what this has been an obvious illustration of is that there is a still a complete misunderstanding of how women operate in male spaces 
And there needs to be some sort of discussion, a longer term discussion in the halls of power, in the kinds of refereeing structures, in player structures, in coaching structures, in officiating structures about the role that gender plays in these moments because this can't happen again. It's not just that, you know, you can't touch referees. There has been a rule introduced saying you can't touch referees. So the fact that that was just ignored is beyond me. But there has to be a consideration of gender here. There has to be. And, there, you know, we, we've been talking so much about how important football has been in terms of the conversation around racism, right, the role that players have been have been playing in, in addressing racism and trying to stamp it out and blah, blah, blah. The same needs to be done when it comes to gender, I know that obviously, you know, in men's football, um, gender seems to be something that is sort of peripheral. It's something that we address when it comes to the women's game. But there needs to be some sort of education program for men in sport, not just in football, in sport, about about gender, about how to treat women and about how to treat women who are involved in the sport that they participate and work in. Because this, you know, Cheyenne Massielis is not going to be the first female referee we have in the Premier League. Um, She's not the first, rather. She's not going to be the last. We want to be having women in positions like not just as referees, not just as centre referees, but also as head coaches. We want to see more women in the top positions in football. But by having these sorts of structures in place and by ignoring how important gender is in the dynamics that these people have to navigate, we're never going to see it. You've talked about all these these more complex concepts, but just think at the end of the day, um, like in any workplace, Sean Massiellis should be able to go to work and not have to consider the possibility of someone touching her when she's trying to do her job. You should be able to go to your work and not expect someone to touch you without your consent. Like, Grab, like the grab of the back of the net, like you see people play it down. You shouldn't ever have to expect that. And you can see why she was shocked because she wasn't expecting it as she shouldn't have to. Don't think it's too much to, as you said, Sam, one, call it out and saying that it's not on and two, actually look to do something about it because clearly it resonated with a lot of women who, to be honest, are a growing audience of the Premier League, have been an audience and will continue to be one. And just in terms of making the game more accessible for everyone, I just think it was something that, could easily have been like assessed and the fact that it was just ignored if not downplayed really made it sit even worse because it meant that our concerns weren't being taken seriously it was just up to certain people to assess what it was about and whether it meant anything and I don't feel like that ever took into account the feelings of the people who actually understood it had experienced these sorts of things or were affected by it. Yeah, you know, I'm just fucking sick of this sort of stuff, you know? Like we it is a rite of passage for women to be touched un- in, uh, like unconsensually, you know? Like it is something mm. that I that every woman I know has experienced. It seems like something that it, it's and for for people who haven't been through it, they just have no uh, idea, no, no conception of how it how it makes you feel the lack of understanding like <sighs> like when we were talking about it, you're like you just I think it's such a power thing like I feel like it's a grabbing the neck, like grabbing the back of your neck like why who tries to get someone's attention by grabbing the back of their neck slash shoulder like yeah. like going like it's that such an example of also oh, if men are communicating with other men in this way then it's 
that's good. That's correct. And that's what they should be doing. Aggression? Fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I hate that argument so much. Definitely a case of, ah, here's the problem. And then people responding with being like, is that the problem? We'll just emphasize the problem more in our response and saying that that is not the problem and you've got the problem wrong. Oh, <laughs> so frustrating. Yeah, but, but but actually, like one of the things that I did, um, I did really like was how many men in media positions came out and said this mm. shouldn't have happened. Like this was this was it was bad on his part. It was bad on the referee on the center referee's part. The fact that he didn't pull it up, and it's bad on the on the 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 part of the committee who decided that he would not face any punishment for it. Um, you know, Ian Wright was one of them. He's always been quite outspoken mm. when it comes to treatment of women in football, but a lot of other pundits as well who you perhaps wouldn't have expected to to come to um, that sort of a conclusion and to come to her side. So that's that's I think that's a good sign. It shows that tides are shifting in some ways, um, and but hopefully it's it's not just people on the outside who have microphones who are able to talk about it critically um, and are able to see the role the gender plays in these kinds of moments, but that those conversations are actually going to start to filter into the the structures that we have in football itself rather than people just banging on the door. As you said, Sam, like addressing this head on, like people can change their behaviour. We all learn. <laughs> respect is respect is taught. We learn how to respect one another. Teach men not to touch women when they don't ask for it. It's not hard. So that gets the fucking boot this week again. (laughs) I think it's not just the boot for the incident itself, but I think for a whole lot of people that could have intervened, could have taken action, could have called it out, could have, I don't know, even just acknowledge it happened, acknowledge there was an issue. A big old boot for a whole lot of people. I think we've uh, used a few uh, weeks worth of boots there, guys. (laughs) Yeah. So we've got our boots out of our system, which means it's time for everyone's other favourite part of the podcast, the how goods. This is the how good, particularly close to our heart. Angela, take it away. We just want to wish a belated but very happy birthday to fellow Potter, Marissa. Happy birthday. I was thinking we could sing for you, but um, we want to keep our subscribers, so (laughs) we won't. (laughs) But, yeah. Thinking of you and sending you lots of love and um, I think we we have a special surprise on the way for you as well. Happy birthday, Marissa. Happy birthday, Marissa. Happy birthday, Marissa. <laughs> Woo! Jeez, it's going to take something to top that. How good, isn't it? Did you hear that I did hear cry? that, yes. I thought it was a siren. Was it your part- oh, that was Melon. I was going to say, was it your partner <laughs> or your cat? <laughs> No, it was the wail of a cat, not a man. All right, I'm just going to let him into the other room. Bit of on-field how-good action. We've talked about Ivy Lewick going by simply Ivy at Sevilla. Well, we've discovered, courtesy of friend of the pod, Anne O'Dong, can't wait to get our tats, that Katrina Gorry over at Avaldsnes in Norway isn't listed as Gorry, isn't listed as Katrina. No, no, she's listed by her nickname. Mini. Just Mini on the team sheet. You love to see it. How good. All of those things. Sam, I think we're going to go back to France for your uh, how good. Yes. So there's been an intriguing storyline running through French women's football over the last couple of weeks involving 
Right, involving uh, French national team head coach Corinne Diacre. Um, there was an article posted a couple of weeks ago which uh, traced the various dramas that Diacre has been involved in with a number of players um, over the course of her tenure. And it seems to be coming to a bit of a head um, in in 2020. So we saw last month uh, goalkeeper Sarah Bahadi step down from French national team duty because of decisions that Diaka had been making. Um, Diaka came under fire at the Women's World Cup last year for not taking uh, Marie-Antoinette Cototo, who was the top scorer of the French women's uh, league at the time, uh, not taking her to France for the home World Cup. Um, And this week she has come under fire once again for leaving out French captain Amandine Henri from from France's camp during the international break. (laughs) And... Um, I mean, the, the reason that she gave was that she was not in good form. She, I think she was returning from injury or something. So, but Amandine Henri did the absolute coolest fucking shit, scored a goal for Lyon, and she put her fingers in her ears and closed her eyes. And her teammates came over, lifted up the back of her jersey, pointed at her name on the back of her jersey, like Corinne Diacre absolutely saw that, and I can just imagine her seething. I can imagine her eyes just bursting into like <laughs> la- lasers and cutting a line across the room. I just, Amandine Henri has always been one of my favorite players. My Olympic Leon jersey has her name and number on the back, and she's, and like her sass, I'm just, I'm all about it. So yeah, uh, Henri sass, how good. If you're wondering, about the Amandine Henri celebration, you can see it on uh, the Far Post Pod Twitter, where Angela has cleverly used it to describe my reaction to, I guess, some of your thoughts on our meme content. We don't care. We're going to keep doing them. We'll never stop. It's yeah. Don't worry. Anna has plenty of confidence in the meme department, so feedback isn't going to stop it. This is what happens when Marissa leaves us for a couple of weeks. It's just anarchy. It's memes everywhere. We just we just, we don't even care about listener feedback. We're just like, you know what, this is us. You take it or, or you leave it, you know. Please don't I, leave I, us. I please don't leave us. Please don't, yeah, please don't come leave back. us. Yeah, you, you made the pod, Marissa. You have to come back to us. <laughs> you made us. <laughs> Look what you created. You created a monster. Yeah. Speaking of feedback, our final how good, um, again, I'm talking about Vivian Miedemar. BBC Sport, their Twitter posted a graphic about Vivian's achievements over um, the weekend and a person responded. This user says, any chance the Beeb can put out a separate thread solely for the WSL? I have no interest in it, and some of the headlines are written as if it's the men's game. I appreciate those who follow WSL and intend no slight. BBC Sport just responded, and I love it so much. They just responded with, we're BBC Sport, not BBC Men's Sport. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, Speaking of yes. Incredible. Excellent. How good. How good. How good. Well, on that note, I reckon we've given Angela enough to edit for one week. Uh, Enjoy the weekend, everyone. No FAWSL, unless you're tuning into some international women's football action. 
get some shut-eye, chill out, no late nights, no early mornings. Well, you do you, really. I'm, I'm not your mum. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But for all of us, that's what we'll be doing. We'll be back next week. Marissa should be back. Bigger, better. We can't wait. But till then, see yous. See yous. See yous. <laughs> <laughs>